I am blessed to see you today again. It's the second Sabbath that I have the opportunity to be here with you. And I pray that every Sabbath, this building will be more and more filled with the people of God, the disciples of God. This morning, when we were just a little while ago, with the classroom that meets in a little room down there, I don't know the name of that room yet, we were purposing to start a wave in our church. And that is that when we come to worship and acknowledge God for who He is and what He does, that we will leave our titles outside the church building and we're all disciples here. Amen? Amen. So in other words, if I'm the fire chief or the fire police, uh, I don't know, whether it be a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, all those titles, even the pastor title stays out. And it's okay. Carlos, to make it short, Carl, C-A-R-L. You want to call me Carl? I'm perfectly fine with that i don't need to hear that i'm pastor i'm okay with it i thank god for that privilege but when we come here no titles disciple of jesus amen all right so beloved as we think of that there's a need we have a need i have a need And that's why we come to communion to solve that need. Sin has stained us. Sin creates barriers not only between you and God, me and God, but with one another. And communion brings us back together. It's God's mercy that invites us to come together. And one of the most terrible temptations because I was affected by it, especially in my younger years, was to come to the conclusion as communion, I'm not going to participate today. I know I have some issues with brother, sister, such and such. So we think that by not participating, we excuse ourselves. And that way we keep it. The antagonism, the tension that is there. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. All the more, you and I, I and you, need to partake of communion. Because we need that transforming power. Taking away the barriers, the tensions, and the separations that could be there. I hope there isn't any. But just in case there was any, we want to make sure we're closing the back door. Amen? So it's in that context that we come. Today. To the house of God. To be treated. I understand that our congregation, Brother Sam, as I visited with him on Wednesday, he was showing me the members of the church with the pictures. I'm trying to put names with faces. I got some, not many, I got some. And I noticed there are several physicians in our midst. We decided that our titles stay out, but if something goes wrong here in church, I know I'm in good hands. So if, any, if I faint or anything goes wrong with me, I know there's going to be a team to get the pastor back to be resuscitated. Besides the prayers, 
besides the prayers. But I was much encouraged by a call that came in to Brother Sam's house asking for the pastor's phone number. And he said, would you like to get the number directly from him? Is um, Brother Terry and Jeannie here this morning? Where are you? Okay, praise be to the Lord. They encouraged me very much when later on that same Wednesday night that the Lord has put in his heart how to touch other people's lives that are not as fortunate as you and I are. And we'll talk more about that this come Tuesday night. If you look in your bulletin, it's church board meeting. Brother Sam, as our lead elder, have instructed the church that every one of you is invited to that church. If you have to have it here in the sanctuary, we'll move it here. Why? Because I pray and hope that you will embarrass your pastor, Carlos. Forgot. Okay? How? Embarrass him with ideas, projects that the Lord has put in your mind to do to reach out this community. Who says pastors know everything and have all the ideas how to do ministry? They don't. I don't. And I pray the Lord will speak to you and you will show up at 7 on Tuesday and just share Because all of you can go online and see it's in the manual. The first agenda item that should be discussed in any board meeting of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is the outreach, the mission of the church. That's where you come in as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Amen? You don't have to, but I will love. And heaven, more than I do, will love to see you there and say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Put in this heart and this mind what you want me to do for you. Whether it be your personal call to do something as an individual or something that you're impressed to share with the rest of the church to put into motion, into practice, to reach others for Jesus' kingdom, I will see you Tuesday night. At seven. Everyone is invited. And Brother Sam has explained how how this works, how to participate, and we will remind that then there. Finally, and as part of this starting for this morning, I just want to remind you that when this sermonette is over, which is going to be very short. First Sabbath was a heavy-duty long one. Now it's going to be a very short one. We're going to participate in the rite of humility. We know we're men. We're going to, the brothers, the male disciples are going to meet downstairs in the, what cardinal point is that way? South? We'll be in the south, south part of downstairs. Our sisters too. 
how you call that room? Where? Class? Class? The couples. I see couples here. In the youth room? Okay. Here in the preparation room? If there's any of our sister ladies that would have any mobility uh, challenge, disability, this place will be. It's already ready there for you. And then if there's any male that have any mobility issue in what they call the pastor's office, it's your office too, they will meet there. A deacon will be there to assist. I want to remember that. When we're done and we go downstairs, I invite you to resist the temptation of just talking of whatever. Focus on Jesus. Amen? May the spirit of the upper room be in every heart and every mind today when we go for the foot washing. There's little changes, minor changes. God did not call me to make changes in this church. He called me to Introduce men and women, boys and girls to Jesus, period. But there's some little minor changes in the format of communion today when we come back. You already know our deacons and deaconesses will help us to remember that every other pew, we will leave one of those empty so that it will be much easier for them to serve you of the emblems that represent his sacrifice on our behalf. Please bow your heads with me. Loving Father, help us to understand that we don't need your help. We need you. And that's all the help we need. Not just a portion, not just a little bit and we'll take care of the rest. No. It's all the help. Actually, you have to do everything. Sin has put a stretch shirt on us. It immobilizes me and every one of us here today. We want to be free from that and Jesus come and live his life in every one of us and through us. That's a miracle. We don't make miracles. You do. Father, please make that miracle just now. We ask in the name of the one who promised that every time his disciples gather in remembrance of him, that he will be present. It is just so wonderful to know Jesus his angels, you, Father, the Holy Spirit, are here. Take every thought captive to you. Every habit, pattern that has nothing to do with what you have invited us, just take it away, Lord. We are choosing deliberately to die to self that's another way to say to be crucified so that Christ can live in us. And the life that we live now, we live by faith in him alone. We have 
chosen, we're choosing right now to believe that what we ask, you will grant it. What's the point of asking if we don't believe? Help my unbelief. In Jesus' name, we all pray and say, Amen. Amen. To put in context the message for this morning, keep in mind that this message is based on chapter 2 of Steps to Christ. Sins, sinners need of Christ. Some to that extent. The sinner's need of Christ. And the story that we're going to pick, we're going to look into and meditate upon, is found in Mark chapter 9. Turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 9. And we're going to begin with verse 30. The context of this story while you're looking is right after Jesus with James, John, and Peter have come down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And they had this sad experience, the disciples, where a father had brought a son and they could not heal him. They had done it before, but for some reason this time it was not happening. So they were mocking at the disciples. And if Jesus would have done nothing about it, they would have mocked of him too. Actually, they received him with some disbelief. And it is in this context that now verse 30 reads, Mark 9, verse 30. Then they departed from there, where that scene had taken place. Jesus had healed the young man. They departed from there and passed through Galilee. This is coming from north going south. Now to Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it. For he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. This, this message just caused all kinds of thoughts in the disciples. And in some of the disciples, perhaps it did not sink in. It's very clear. What is there to interpret about this? He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be given into men's hands. They will kill him and he will be resurrected. This is not the first time he mentions this. The first time he cleansed the temple, he told the religious leaders, destroy this temple, and in the third day, raise up again. So they were familiar with that message. It was not something new. But he said this in verse 32, but they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. Now, that's to make things more complicated. Didn't understand? And would you understand what you normally do? Ask? They did not understand and decided to go the wrong mode. 
don't even ask. They didn't ask about it. They should have. And so this takes us into the heart of our meditation. And this is what transpires in between verse 33 and in verse 35. There are three questions there that I want to discuss with you very briefly. Question number one. Let's read verse 33. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, it takes for granted that everyone know what house is this. This is the house where Peter, Peter's mother-in-law lived. Okay? This is where they're at. This is Capernaum. They're there in the house, and he asked them the question, what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? Before, when he made the statement that the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day, and they're all confused and don't ask no questions. Jesus asked him the question, what were you talking about while we were coming this way? Beloved, the question. That's the first item. The question. Why would Jesus ask a question that he knew the answer of? Is this the first time Jesus does this? Remember the great multitude? Hey, here's all this multitude. They are hungry. Would you feed them? Everybody starts scratching their heads. Lord, not even 200 denarii of bread will cover it. I mean, you can get all the subway together here. There will be enough bread. There won't be enough bread. He knew what he was going to do. Remember at the tomb of Lazarus? Father, I know you always hear me. But it's because of the ones that are here that don't believe in me. He knew the question. He knew the answer to the question. Why would he do that? I want to propose to you the obvious answer for the benefit of the disciples in first place. He wanted to teach them a lesson. There was a spiritual lesson. It's not whipping. It's not smacking with a two by four. He wanted to bring to their lives a spiritual lesson that will bless them in their union in their communion, in their goal of being disciples, children of God's kingdom. He also asked that question because it had to do with you and me too. Same problem, same challenges. Yes, he wanted to teach that lesson so that they could do some introspection, and look what needed to be touched and healed by Jesus himself. What were you discussing while you were coming down here? And of course, the answer, but they kept silent. And that is the next question. Why would they keep silent? And I wrote down on my notes, uh uh-oh, he caught us. 
We're in trouble. Actually, big time trouble. He can read us. He can see through us. He knows what is in there that no matter how much we hide it or how silent we are, He knows about it. Aren't you thankful that He knows? He knows. He knows. First, the question, what were you talking about? Three, silence. I believe silence is appropriate. When Jesus comes to you and to me, and he makes the question, what were you doing? What were you talking? Silence is appropriate. Then he can work. The physicians know that if he have a patient there that on the surgery table is moving all over, it can do nothing. That's why to put them to sleep. Okay? Jesus needs, needs to get us to sleep and be quiet so that he can do what he wants to do. Amen? And we're all his patients here today. Church becomes a great, big ER. No. Not a, no. OR. Operating room? Okay, yeah. Emergency. Yeah, they're both. We're all in that need too. Yes. He's going to do surgery today in my heart, in your heart. We know what caused the silence. He cut us. And the good thing is that although he caught us, he wants to make that life-changing transformation in my life and in your life just now, today. The issue. We know the issue. That's the third one. That's verse 34. There. They kept silent. We know what the silence. They realized. For on the road, they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. Can you see what the issue is? It happens to me, it happens to you. For some reason, the nature you and I are born with, it's all about the universe evolves around me. And the Lord wants to say, no, it doesn't work that way. You need supernatural divine intervention to make it understand that the surgery that I'm going to do with you, in you, is going to make the kingdom of God the number one priority. That, like John the Baptist, we are, I am to learn that it's better for Jesus to increase and for me to decrease. And that happens in my relationship with my brothers and sisters. But that's where the problem lays. That as in brothers and sisters, somehow the devil will figure out a way how to sneak in us and appeal to our nature, I need to be the greatest. I need to... Update the pastor. I need to update the elder. I need to update the deacons. I need to update my wife or my husband or my children. It's just there in every one of us that we need to control everybody else. And Jesus says, no. The solution is, come to my operating room. Ezekiel 36. God does an open heart surgery, remember? Takes the 
stone heart, that rock heart, throws it away and puts a heart of flesh, sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Humans, I don't know how many heart surges they can take. I guess not many. But I need one every day. Every moment of the day. So that miraculous new life that only He can bring to me will take place. Right there, because the issue now it's on the table, the white elephant in the room is there. He goes there and in verse 36, after he addressed that question that he knew the answer to, there was the silence. The issue was brought up and now he brings his solution. Verse 36, he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And, and we asked, how could that be the solution? We're all grown ups. We are told by the Apostle Paul, don't be like children, grow up. And Jesus is saying, no, be like a child. And you say, which one we do? We know the answer. You know the answer. John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He made the same mistake I and most of us tend to do. Flatter Jesus. Teacher, no one can do what you do unless God is with you. Did not acknowledge him as the Messiah. As the solution to his problem. And Jesus, being not like me, being like, not like any one of us, goes to what he wanted. He gives him the answer he needs. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to be like a little child. Trusting God. Don't let everything you've grown up with or developed in your mind get in the way between you and me and allow me to do that surgery that will make a new creation of you so that we can be in tune in the same page, walk together. I want to close by reminding you again, John chapter 14, verse 20. Turn your Bibles there with me, please. John chapter 14, verse 20. At that day, you will know that I am and my Father were one. And this is the beauty. And you and me and I and you. You notice in your bulletin that our message today is one with Him. Jesus wants to be one with you, but He wants to be one with me. I so desperately need that. That is exactly what verse 23 says also, but now talking about the Father. It says, Jesus answered in verse 23 and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And it just, it won't end there. And we, meaning Jesus and the Father, will come to him or to her and make our home with him or with her. Can somebody say amen? Beloved, 
Not just Jesus. The Father wants to be in you, one with you and one with me. That's our only hope to live the victorious life. Actually, Christ living his victorious life in you and through you in me and through me. And then verse 17. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Full house, brethren. Full house. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they want to be not only with you, but in you. Let's open our hearts now to them and have them come in and make their abode in our hearts. Because that will take care of all the dispute of who's going to be the greatest. That'll take care of that. And will make you and me. Jesus, by living, not make. I continue, I struggle with the fact that I need help from God. I don't need help from God. I need God to do everything in me because I can't do nothing, Jesus said. Separated from Him, I can do nothing. So I need all the help, not just a certain amount of help. So as a handicap minister, needs all the help, like a quadriplegic, can do nothing, I need Jesus to come and live His life of love, of compassion. I have a hard time forgiving people. Does Jesus have a hard time forgiving? He's my hope. He's my only hope. Because if it were for me, I will not forgive not one of you. But he can. I love it. I love the idea that Jesus can come and live his life of forgiveness in me. And through me. Because I can't. But he can. And I've invited him. And I pray you too will invite him every day. To live his life of kindness. Of forgiveness. Of tolerance. Of patience. I don't have any of that. But he does. And he wants to live his life in you. That's how the Christian life is lived. As we prepare to separate. I'm asking God. And whoever comes up to the church board meeting on Tuesday. That you will come to God and say. God can you make a miracle in my life. Could you live in me and love the pastor for me? I'm having a hard time with him. Would you love the pastor through me, through this vessel? But it's you. I'm having a hard time doing it, so you do it. Jesus, would you love this pastor through me? Because I already did ask him that. I ask him, Lord, would you love this congregation through this vessel of clay? I don't even know you. I don't even have to. Jesus does. Amen? He loves you already. We don't have to bend his arm or twist it. He already loves you. All I have to do is get out of the way and let him, through this vessel, love you. And then, he will make such wonderful manifestation of his power 
for salvation and transformation in this congregation. Not tomorrow, not later this afternoon, but right now. As we both make that prayer and become one with Jesus. He can do it in you. He can do it in me. Actually, he's desperate knocking at the door of my heart, at the door of your heart. I invite you to go with these words in your mind, in your heart, to participate from the right of humility. As we hear the music play, we will walk to the different places. I will pick one of you males. My wife is not here, so I will pick one of the guys, one of the gentlemen. I want to love you. I'm going to do that. Talk to people. Look in their eyes and say, my brother, I really don't like you. But I'm asking Jesus to love you through me. Look at their eyes. Tell this not to the husband or the wife, okay? Tell this to someone you haven't talked to for a long time. That's hard. It's easy to say, hi, Carol. You look nice today. She even give me a wink. I like that. Beloved, that's easy. But you know what's not easy? Go to a brother or sister you haven't talked for a long time and say, my brother, I can't explain what's going on, but Jesus has all the credit for this. I want to look into your eyes and say, I love you. I'm going to pray for you this week. Hopefully until Jesus comes. Would you do that?